HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food and beverage radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm Damon Bolte. And I'm Greg Benson. Greg. Hey, man. How are we doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's fall out here in New York. What about what about out in California? Do you get fall? Do you have seasons? Are you doing daylight savings time? I don't even know. <laughs> it's like right. a different world over there, man. Well, are we are we even doing that this year? I mean, I thought we were going to 86 daylight savings. Ice? That's what I thought, but it's not signed. And also California has indicated that they still want to do it. And it really is just, it's, I know I don't get it. And it's, it is bringing me face to face with the kind of, you know, scary legislative effects that we have on like time, like something as inescapable and constant (laughs) as time that we also sort of make up for ourselves as human beings. It's weird, man. But (laughs) speaking, speaking of time, you did something that you haven't done in a long time recently, right? Oh, over the weekend. Oh yeah. My band played our like second shows since the, you know, since the cooling down of COVID. Um, So yeah, it was really fun. We played at this place called Perry's. Uh, the actual name of it is Perry's Silver Dollar Bar, which they don't go by the full name, and I think they should. It sounds way cooler. Um, yeah, but it's this old school. Uh, it's in Fairfax. It's an old like kind of neighborhood bar with some nice natural lighting and kind of like glass bricks. You know, it actually reminds me of – so, well, just to say this real quick, this guy, Scotty, just uh, kind of took over the program and – it actually instilled a uh, a cocktail program in there and just like strong classics and some just nice modern twists. It reminds me a lot of like Long Island bar, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, an old, like kind of dinery feeling place kind of for Micah um, bar top, all that. And what's cool about it is they have live music there. Obviously we played um, and the cool thing is uh, not so cool thing is that during the pandemic, a place called Terrapin Crossroads closed. And that was a place that was owned by Phil Lesh from the Grateful Dead. Uh, it was b- basically, it was considered the Grateful Dead headquarters uh, here in San Rafael, California. 
And so when they shut down, they had three different stages and Perry's actually got hold of the sound system from one of the stages. So Whoa. the sound in there is awesome. And it feels like, uh, you know, we never got to play at, at Terrapin Crossroads, but it, we, we're kind of doing it. <laughs> so anyway, but the cool thing is, uh, you know, yes, it does feel kind of like fall here. Um, but, you know, like, I don't know, it, you know, Northern California does get some seasonality. Um, and, you know, I my favorite season for cocktails is the fall because, you know, it, you start getting into those very, very uh, northeastern vibes uh you know with those cocktails like you know your classics like manhattans and old fashions things that are stirred and boozy and bitter you know so like it's i i love this time of year no absolutely i hate when it gets like super cold which is why i don't really spend too much time in new york these days but (laughs) but uh but it's a great time for for cocktails no, totally. And the other the other problem when it gets super cold is that you get the the barrage of hot toddy variations that are out right, there. And I'm right. I'm uh, you know I'm I'm a traditionalist. I like uh, my coffee hot and my cocktails cold. I respect people who have different <laughs> opinions from me, but they are wrong. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's a it's it's a really great time of year to just kind of like get back to basics. Like I went and visited a, a really good friend of mine at her bar over the weekend, and you know they have a really great cocktail program. But I was like, you know what, I just want a Manhattan. And then for my second drink, I was like, you know what? I just want a martini, like those kind of more sort of warming, stick to your ribs type of thing. Uh, I'm living in perpetual fear of the day that I see the first pumpkin spice latte espresso martini <laughs> on a menu. But, you know, through the grace of whatever goddess is running the universe, I haven't seen it yet. So, you know, maybe I've just planted the seed of my own destruction by saying that out loud into a microphone. But so far, it's been a really good season to connect with kind of more sort of, you know, get back yeah. to your roots, the more kind yeah. of like, you know, the, the the real like 1800s classics, which is really nice. Right. Yeah. I mean, just just so you know, we did do a, a PSL style cocktail at Grand Army a couple of <laughs> couple of falls ago um you know so but it's it's one of those things where we did it more out of a more pretty much how you described it like we just wanted to get ahead of the game <laughs> we wanted to be like one of the first to do it and it was pretty good but yeah. it's still a pumpkin spice thing so well and also i mean the yeah the success of the pumpkin spice latte didn't come out of nowhere right i mean like right. it's a testament to the fact that like we as human beings really enjoy like cinnamon and nutmeg and clove and allspice and sugar in the same place Right. You know, so that 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 in and of itself is not a bad formula. You know, I don't think that that is a bad idea inherently. Um, but I do yeah. think that when I saw pumpkin spice hummus at Trader Joe's the other day, that was an abomination, <laughs> and we should treat it as such. So there is there is a line. I don't know where it is. I couldn't tell you where it is specifically, but I can tell you what's over it. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about it this way. So we had Robert Simonson on the show last week, right? And we were talking about modern classics. And he said, first of all, it has to go beyond the bar that it was created at, right? People have to like it. That's probably one of the most important parts of it. And people freaking love pumpkin spice latte. So it that is in the canon of like non-alcoholic beverages. It's probably one of the most viral, viral, uh, Modern classics uh, on that side of the bar, you know. Um, but speaking of Robert Simonson and things that he really enjoys, he actually wrote up recently a bar in Harlem that is doing some really incredible stuff. I don't know if you've been up there yet, but there's this place. It's called Sugar Monk. And I've only seen their website because, again, I haven't been to New York as much as I normally would uh, this year. But – 
I've been reading about this place, seeing posts, and I like they're doing some really incredible stuff. I've often said, you know, one of the most important things, the first thing really to creating a, a, a nice cocktail is make it visually stunning because that's the first sense you're going to use, you know, with cooking. It's olfactory with cocktails. Typically it's visual. So I've only been able to see some photos of this place and of the cocktails and food, but it's visually stunning. And luckily today we actually have the co-founder and co-owner of this place, Sugar Monk, up in Harlem. Actually, it's it's two blocks away from the Apollo also. So you can go get a drink before a show or after or both. But uh, <laughs> we do want to welcome to the show our good friend, Hectoris Benicos from Sugar Monk. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, guys. Pleasure, pleasure talking to you. Thanks yeah, for inviting me here. This is awesome. I'm like... I, you know, I was scrolling through your your photo gallery on your website earlier, and I had to I had to change tabs on my my internet browser because I was getting too distracted and honestly <laughs> thirsty and hungry um, just by looking at this. And you know, it's it's oh, like nine thirty a.m. out here in in California, so it's too early for me to have these cravings. Um, but yeah, welcome to the show. How did, I mean, let's just Thank get you. into this. How did you? Where did this all begin? Take us to the beginning. Of course, yes. Uh, well, I think the whole thing started with that in Greece. Uh, I'm from Greece, from uh, a small island on the Aegean Sea called Icaria. And my dad was an amateur distiller. Um, so we'll go and make wine and then we'll take the, uh, the skin of the grapes and we'll make grappa. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> raki, which is similar to grappa. <clears throat> And it was illegal, so we would do that at night. And I was like, you know, 14 years old, very young. And then that, he would use a lot of botanicals to flavor the grappa. So I got the bag early on, I think, from my father, yeah. And, um, you know, also my mom would make like homemade liqueurs using, uh, you know, the high-proof high grappa. She would infuse like cherries and, you know, walnuts and that sort of thing, so... So uh, that's how the whole thing started. And then I moved to New York at the age of 21 uh, to study, to continue with my studies. Um, and uh, I started working uh, as a bar bar by accident in a bar. Uh, and then I became a bartender. And the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is there, like, you're talking about getting into this at 14 years old. I Yeah. You know, there's... We often talk about different drinking cultures around the world. And, you know, like, for instance, you know, in talk about like in Italy and sometimes yeah. talk about in France, like where kids can they'll have like essentially watered down wine at the right, dinner table. Right. Is that something that's common? Definitely. In I mean, I was able to have wine, uh, diluted wine and very little because my parents are very, uh, you know, careful about that. You know, at 15, I think. Uh, um, I mean, I tasted a little bit of uh, the grappa and I thought it was disgusting right. uh, because it was so strong. <laughs> uh, but, you know, yeah, you get introduced very early on, uh, especially, you know, with wine. So, and by the age of 18, obviously, you're allowed to drink, you know, um, anything you want. So, but it's wonderful because, I mean, it's such a social thing to sit around the table and, you know, and in Greece, especially, especially in the island I come from, uh, everybody mingles together, like old and young and babies and grandmothers. Um, actually, <clears throat> the name of the island is it's called Icaria, and it's one of the five places on earth that people live the longest. They, cook, they call them blue zones. 
And one of the, uh, they apparently think that they say that uh, people kind of like linger much longer than anybody else is the fact that uh, the social uh, structure is very different than us here in the US, for example, that, you know, generations are all like gathered together at all times and they're having fun, you know. Yeah. So my mom, my grandmother was in her 80s when I was like a young boy and she would, you know, drink wine with us and, you know, she was a part of, you know, our uh, social gatherings at all times. So, yeah, I think we're there's a lot of ageism in the United States. You know, it, it, it's it's a thing where, you know, I like I even see it with uh, some younger bartenders where they're like they're always like hovering around the guests that are like closer to their own age. You know, <laughs> they're not really paying right, attention to right. anyone older or younger than them. It's, uh, yeah. it's kind of a funny thing. So that's an interesting thing. Then you think that the the working theory is that. Uh, just that social interaction is keeping people alive longer? Well, they say it's one of them. You know, the other thing is sex. <laughs> 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 They're having sex until they're very, very old. And, you know, also it's a, it's a very steep island. It's, it's a big mountain, cliffs, and so people walk all the time. And, you know, so they're hard. You know, you get a good amount of uh, cardiovascular exercise every day. Uh, also the diet, obviously. I mean, they eat, uh, you know, mostly um, a vegetarian diet and uh, some fish, seafood and very little meat. Um, and, uh, you know, the animals produce the most amazing honey, guys. Oh, my God, it's amazing. So, you know, so there are a lot of, you know, they eat yogurt, they eat honey. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's it's a well-known uh, It's, it's, it's becoming a very, very famous spot now in the world. So, um, I'm going there for my honeymoon. I'm, we're you going, should. Yeah, we're going. <laughs> hey, we are. Like, we, you just decide plan. that right now after hearing no, this no, great no. sales that's, pitch. That's, yeah, well, I mean, no, you've just, you've, you sealed the deal. But yeah, that's that's the plan is to go to Greece <laughs> on our honeymoon. No, it's, it's a very special uh, little country. Very beautiful, obviously. And, you know, fun, fun people. And, you know, of course, I'm from there. But, you know, um, so, yeah. Also, Greek wine. I mean, like, people always talk about yeah. French and Italian wine, but, like, Greek wine is incredible. It's incredible. I mean, they've been making, you know, wine for thousands of years, and the terroir, it's so rich with minerals, and, you know, you have such a variety and so many different uh, wine terroirs. I mean, uh, and they all make very, you know, distinctive, you know, different varieties, and... Um, Uh, I mean, you know, it's just, it's a very vibrant, actually, wine scene right now in Greece. And yeah. uh, a lot of young, um, you know, winemakers that they study in Bordeaux or whatever. So they bring on the, uh, you know, the, the, the new techniques and, you know, they're making really beautiful wines. Oh, yeah. Especially whites. Yeah, exactly. I mean, well, but I, I want to touch on that because you just mentioned Bordeaux. So the funny yeah. thing about Bordeaux, I've been there a couple of times. And the thing that really caught me off guard, and I wanted to kind of touch on this because I know that, like, You know, there's like, uh, there's a lot of like, there's like a, a crazy nightlife that happens in a lot of, uh, on a lot of Greek islands and Greek cities, um, like clubbing nightlife. And when I yeah. went to Bordeaux, I was shocked that like most of the bars that I went to in, in the city of Bordeaux, like they was, they had a cocktail list and it was all just variations on vodka Red Bulls. Is that like <laughs> something that happens in Greece as well? You think that's it's lovely, like beautiful place, legendary place that makes legendary wines and, and, you know, steeped in history. And then all of a sudden, like, they're just trying to see how many different variations on vodka Red Bulls they can make. Is that like, <laughs> like what do the locals actually drink in Greece? 
actually be surprised. There's a very vibrant and very sophisticated uh, capital scene in Greece right now, which is uh, so exciting. Even my little island, uh, you know, went to this bar on top of the mountain, uh, you know, in the summer, it was in September, um, called it the Treehouse Bar. And it was amazing to find all those creative concoctions. Um, no, there's no nothing like that in Greece. I mean, <laughs> uh, in Athens, of course, also you have some amazing bars like Baba Oram, the Glamsis, uh, etc. You know, the, the two famous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Baba Oram is one of my favorite. I mean, it's such a great, great, great uh, bar. Uh, very, you know, high quality cocktails and all that. So. Uh, I think you should uh, explore the bar scene in Athens when you go. I'm definitely going to. Definitely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I think you'd be surprised. It's really exciting. I mean, I only travel to places based on good food and drinks. You know, that's well, like... That's, <laughs> that's a else? good reason. <laughs> I mean, being like, a, like I was a global brand ambassador for a while, for, for many years actually. And like, I loved it because I, would, I got to visit a lot of places around the world. I didn't get to go to Greece. Um, but I got to visit so many places around the world and I was, you know, it's a small gin, it's Brooklyn gin. And so like, you know, it was very specific for like restaurants and cocktail bars. It was very low production. So we weren't trying to be everywhere, but we were in these very high quality places. So I was only going to places that had really amazing drinks and food. So it was perfect. Fantastic. Uh, It's the only way to travel. Um, That's the best so, way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's talk about the, like, so that all this informed your, I- inspired your bar in Harlem. So, well, you know, I moved to Harlem about 10 years ago. Uh, we bought an apartment with my partner and uh, we love the neighborhood. Um, you know, there's so much history and also architecturally is very beautiful. I mean, mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful buildings and all that. And I love the culture, the diversity, and that's something I always wanted to experience. You know, we used to live downtown, uh, the East Village, and when I moved to New York, uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know, East Village used to be very diverse, and then changes, changed to a lot of new kids and a lot of, you know, sort of yuppies and all that. So right. um, it was exciting for me to come up to Harlem, and um, I had another... <clears throat> Speakeasy downtown. I was the managing partner of uh, Second Floor on Clinton. Uh, we closed that place in 2015. So the last year also was very hard for me to go up and down. Uh, so I wanted to create something locally, you know, close to my apartment in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And then we sat down and we thought about the concept of Sugar Monk and uh, what it would be. And we wanted to create a uh, a space that would be warm and inclusive and wanted to, um, uh, you know, have a lot of creative people coming in and, uh, you know, share a cocktail or whatever, um, a bite of food, some wine, and be able to communicate and talk and, uh, you know, and everybody's welcome and uh, that sort of thing. So we um, created Sugar Monk. Also, we thought about the early speakeasies during the Harlem Renaissance. Uh, that uh, you know, during the Harlem Renaissance, the uh, it was a very vibrant speakeasy scene in Harlem. Um, that people kind of found rescue or found like um, you know, a lot of marginalized people. They, 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 you know, a lot of gay people came from downtown. A lot of writers, a lot of African Americans, obviously, and you know, 
they will go and will hang out with those uh, speakeasies and uh, drink and uh, feel free and you know and happy. So we want to create something that will be, um, as I mentioned, um, very inviting for everybody and um, you know. Yeah, that's, and, uh, yeah. Sorry. That, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say that that's that seems to be like. I mean, we kind of had to do this whole speakeasy like exclusive thing to like get everyone interested in these classic cocktails and modern mixology and but then it was like all right enough people are interested in this like let's open the doors to everyone so yeah let's that's make true. it more yes. yeah so yes 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 right? absolutely um i mean you know we're not exactly a speakeasy i mean we are pretty visible and all that but right. you know, people <laughs> refer us as a speakeasy but um definitely um so you know it's been fun i mean we opened uh three years ago uh 2019 um and of course, you know, uh, in some ways it's been very difficult as well uh, because of the pandemic. So we basically, you know, two thirds of our existence, you know, uh, went on fighting the, uh, you know, COVID, you know, we had to close twice, we lost our staff twice. Yeah. Um, and that was very, very difficult. Um, you know, we tried to survive uh, in every possible way, you know, by doing Cactus to go and, uh, you know, we had a little setup outside with a flimsy tent. So, you know, it was uh, kind of uh, uh, a big silence there. And uh, But we survived and we're doing great again, which is exciting to see the place, uh, you know, full more or less every night. And, you know, and people seem to have a fun time. <laughs> well, so, it looks incredible. I mean, thank I, you so just, much. Thank I mean, you. for everyone listening out there, you should definitely like check them out on Instagram and go to their website. It's uh, mm. sugarmunk sugarmunk Um, It's just stunning. And um, I think we should take a quick little break. But when we come back, I want to talk more about the the just the the kind of inspiration that comes with these cocktails and and uh, and the food as well. Um, so let's talk about that in just a second. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll return to talk with our good friend, our new friend, Hectoris Minikos from Sugar Monk. <laughs> Back in a few. The biggest bartending competition in the world is coming. Do you want to be a part of it? Because the November 15th application deadline is quickly approaching for the 2023 season of USBG Presents World Class, sponsored by Diageo. World Class US is more than just a competition. It's a great opportunity for cocktail enthusiasts of every skill level and every background to test themselves, to join a community of industry professionals and really become a stronger bartender. The global finals for this year were in Sydney, Australia, and they looked crazy. Next year's are going to be in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and the competition is open to every bar professional age 21 and up. Plus, Diageo Bar Academy has a new virtual bar and a members week that's right around the corner on these incredible resources. Visit diageobaracademy.com to build your skills. Take a world-class studio, masterclass, or e-learning class and take charge of your development in the bar industry today. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Once again, you got to be 21 and please drink responsibly. And 
And we are back. You are listening to the Speakeasy here on Heritage Radio Network. Today we're talking with Hectoras Benicos of Sugar Monk up in Harlem. Uh, we're talking a little bit about uh, his his hometown and his homeland of Greece and uh, really about a lot of the great food and drink that comes out of there. And it, it, it reminded me of the first time I ever had a taste of, of Greek wine and got those really sort of uh, botanical, almost like medicinally flavors in there. And it really reminded me of like the first time I ever had an IPA when I was like 21 years old and being like, oh my God, I, I didn't know beer could taste like that. It was so revelatory. Mm-hmm. Just like, wow, I didn't realize that wines could do that. And it really gave me a, an, an appreciation for it and made me want to study a lot of the really cool, um, you know, interesting botanicals and spices and whatnot that sort of come out of that part of the world. And Ektoros, you're doing something pretty interesting, uh, a, a project that was born out of the pandemic, but been doing a lot of experimenting with a lot of um, roots and barks and spices from that part of the world. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's the best thing that came out of the pandemic for us. You know, the fact that uh, you know the first time that they sat us down, I kept like uh, you know three bartenders, <clears throat> actually two bartenders and the bar back, uh, and we kind of set up SAP and we created a laboratory there and we started experimenting with recipes, uh, creating amari and uh, liqueurs and a whole line of mixology um, products like bitters and sprays and tinctures and the whole thing. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, kind of like the whole idea came from my dad when he was, uh, when I was a young boy, experimenting with herbs, infusing grappa. Um, anyway, I, I love Amari. I love Amaro. I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, I think it's, it's an incredible, um, you know, spirit, whatever you call it, uh, this is Stevo. Um, so we created... Uh, a whole line of uh, actually we have right now eight different amari um, and uh, we have um, a whole series called the partita amari um, uh, that there are five different amari uh, inspired by a piece by Johann Sebastian Bach the partita number two in D minor um, and uh, we translated every movement into an amaro. So, um, and there is an evolution, obviously, through the partita. Um, this is a piece that Bach wrote when uh, his wife Maria died, um, and um, they have nine kids, and he was heartbroken. He died, she died from typhoid, um, and. Um, it's, it's an incredible, heart-wrenching piece. It starts kind of like, almost like, uh, starts with a kind of a light kind of uh, valse and then develops into this uh, amazing last movement called Chacona, which is a very emotional, very emotional movement. So, uh, you know, so I follow the kind of the evolution of the music and we create Amaro, you know, you start with a light Amaro and then you go to a heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And the last uh, Amaro, which we call it Sakona, after the uh, movement, it's just very, you know, bold and, um, you know, whimsical and uh, uh, dark and, you know, that sort of thing. So um, then, um, you know, I love, I love music. So I, it seems that I find a lot of inspiration for music for some reason. Um, so I went to see the... 
um, latest production uh, of um, Philip Glass opera, The Met Kola uh, Kenaton, about the Egyptian pharaoh, um, which is uh, actually an incredible figure in the history of, uh, you know, of the world and, you know, in Egypt especially, because he was the first uh, pharaoh to introduce, uh, you know, the first monotheistic religion in Egypt. He reigned for about 17 years and then he was assassinated. Um, and, uh, you know, the opera starts with a mummification scene uh, when uh, they uh, mummified the father of Akhenaton. Um, and that kind of gave me the idea of like creating something in that vein. And I studied the mummification process. And uh, the Asian Egyptians, they use a lot of herbs and resin and spices uh, during the, that process. And kind of, you know, I study and I, I, I look at things that they use. And so I incorporate a lot of those ingredients into the Akhenaton Amari, Amaro. Um, and um, it's a very, uh, very unusual Amaro. Um, has about 40, 45 ingredients uh, from eucalyptus to sage to all the botanicals, plus a lot of uh, bark and, uh, you know, like hazelnuts and uh, almonds and dates and then resin as well. Um, so, uh, and we had tremendous success with that particular Amaro. Um, uh, Bloomberg, uh, Pursuits named it as one of the best spirits, uh, you know, l last year of 2021. Uh, Brad Zaff wrote this wonderful little, uh, you know, description about the Amaro. He was the one that, uh, you know, wrote the, uh, the piece. And it's been consistently very, very, very popular. Um, and we made, we make a minuscule amounts of those Amari. I mean, you know, we, create, uh, you know, we, we basically master everything in the basement of Sugramark, which is tiny. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we can produce like, uh, you know, 30 bottles, 40 bottles every, I don't know, seven months or so, so that, you know, minuscule quantities. So. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I love that, man. I love the idea that this was uh, a, a product that's flavorful, that was really inspired by music and the kind of blending of the the senses there and i want to sort of talk about the visuals too because i want i, I the way that this bottle is presented is itself very visually striking <laughs> yes we put a lot of comments people love that uh presentation so basically you know we uh designed the label and uh simon my partner um he's doing all the graphic design for the labels and uh, so we we found this uh, image of Akhenaten, and then we, you know, he was we put this kind of uh, kind of round cycle of gold, um, you know, symbolizing the uh, the the sun in his forehead. Um, and then uh, we decided to go further, and we uh, wrapped the bottle with gases, like the uh, you know the mummies. <laughs> we put it inside of a cedar box like to indicate the uh, you know the uh, the casket uh 
And then usually we, uh, you know, wrap it nicely with, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, a nice paper. And then we put herbs as well. So it's buried in herbs as well. So when you open the caskets, like you get this waff of like amazing aromas from the herbs that we put. Cool. And then you go after, you know, and you see the, uh, you know, the guys who have to unwrap it. So it's a whole thing. So uh, people get such a kick out of it. I mean, it's just, it's been fun. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, yeah. So, um I have some news to share today, which is actually very exciting. Um, we decided to take this project to the next level and um, start a manufacturing, um, you know, facility. Um, so we've been under uh, negotiations for many months now um, with Industry City in Brooklyn. So we um, going to sign the lease, I think, tomorrow or the day after. We just finally uh, were there and we're super excited to take this great space in Brooklyn, um, 2,000 square feet, uh, to start making uh, the Amari and the liqueurs and all the mixology products. And so we're going to become manufacturers now, which is super exciting for us. Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, the whole thing started out of... This great despair, you know, I mean, closed us down and, you know, the whole pandemic. And uh, so that's why we call them like bottles uh, in, in, in resilience, you know, kind of like they really came out of, 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 of uh, you know, this very difficult time, you know. So that's, that's I mean, it's, it's funny to hear how many people have just like, been inspired out of necessity to like create and expand their business uh, in ways that they probably wouldn't have done before, you know, and, and during this time, it's just like, I don't know. It, it's just good, it's good to hear something positive, you know? No, absolutely. I mean, yeah, indeed, actually a lot of people actually came out with so many great ideas, you know, directly an outcome of the, uh, you know, the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting, you know, the cocktails to go now, they, now that, you know, can't cocktails. I mean, the whole thing started really from that. So and it's, it's nice. I mean, I love it. And there are some good uh, versions out there. So it's, uh, it's exciting. Yeah. It's very exciting. And you're using these products in your cocktails, correct? Yes. A lot of them, uh, you know, it's very hard to keep up, of course, because of the minuscule, um, you know quantities mm -hmm. but we do uh and we sell them of course by the glass um and um and then we make those uh, liqueurs actually um they're kind of also again a usual you know we get a lot of uh, um you know ideas from tama uh thomas is our forager um which i would like to talk about here she's an mm -hmm. amazing woman um so uh, Tama Machuoka, she's a forest that's been working with a lot of famous chefs like uh, Jean-Georges and Danielle, and um, she's foraging for them. And then uh, I had the opportunity to meet her one time and uh, she took us in <laughs> because she's very picky. <laughs> right. And she decided to, um, you know, start foraging for us. And so she would bring me once a month, uh, like a, kind of a box. She's very minuscule quantities. Uh, of things that, uh, you know, unusual herbs and, uh, you know, like wild uh, spearmint and, uh, you know, some, you know, like uh, wild cherries and, uh, and fruit and uh, different stuff. So it's been a constant inspiration to encounter all those, uh, you know, new, uh, you know, ingredients. 
So we make like uh, Queen Anne's lace liqueur and we make like fern liqueur, but they are, we call them all the liqueurs. They're something between Eau de Vie and the liqueur. They're not very sweet. They're about 40% alcohol, uh, but you get a lot of distinctive uh, flavors. Uh, we just made honeysuckle from Thomas. She brought me some wonderful honeysuckles in the summer. So uh, we're excited to release this uh, new uh, liqueur. That sounds and awesome. obviously we made also more traditional, uh, you know, like framboise, uh, raspberry and mm-hmm. uh, white blueberries and all that. So, But it's been really great working with her because she's very zen, she's very respectful um, of nature. And, um, you know, she has a certain philosophy. She used to be a lawyer on Wall Street and then she decided to give up everything and, you know, become a forager. So she started... Uh, she, she bought a farm in New Jersey, and that's how she, she operates from there now. So I love hearing that. There's, yeah, you know, there's so many people recently over the past, I don't know, last decade or so, who left uh, finance or law and became that's right, you know, big figures in the uh, the food and beverage industry, especially in New York. You know, it's like it's just what a cool. What yeah. a cool and reckless thing to do, you know. Like, <laughs> you spend That's all this amazing. time studying, you know, like almost a decade in law, you know, it, 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 then all of a sudden you just give it all up to uh, go chase your passion, which is, I, I just love it. I love that. No, absolutely. It is chasing your passion. I mean, you know, it's amazing. You know, you know sometimes it takes a while, but people eventually find their way, you yeah. know, via true calling and, you know, vocation, which yeah. is really wonderful to see. And, and you feel it right away if somebody is really passionate. And I love that. I love that. And I always try to inspire my bartenders, you know, based on that. And, you know, we have an incredible team, actually, of very passionate uh, individuals, all highly educated and uh, truly passionate about, you know, the craft and uh, the artistry that comes with it. For sure. Yeah. I mean, so, I, was, I was a graphic designer. I went to school for design. I did it for a little while. Kind of hated it. <laughs> found myself yeah. in... Uh, like you, I kind of I was uh, curious about uh, or kind of got into booze really early on. Started collecting cocktail books when I was twelve years old, and like I, when I got into the the bar biz, I it just like I just knew it was what I needed to be doing. And what I really like about it too is like we were talking a little bit before the show uh, and a little bit during the show about how visual. Sugar Monk is, and especially mm-hmm. the cocktails. I'm telling everyone who's listening, you got to go check these out. I mean, like it's just inspiring <laughs> looking at photos of them, um, and the space and the food as well. But um, you know, the, the the visual aspect of a cocktail. I always say when you're creating cocktails, make sure they're beautiful because the first sense you're going to yes. use is your vision. Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to food, it's always olfactory because you can smell the food cooking whenever you walk into a place or restaurant, bar. Uh, home, you know, wherever it is, you, you, you can smell the food cooking. And with a cocktail, it's like typically you don't smell the cocktail first. You see it first. So make sure it's beautiful and you've absolutely achieved that. Uh, and then some, it's just, thank you. It's thank incredible. you guys. Thanks so I much, Damon. It's like the glassware, the garnishes. I mean, just like it's, it's all just so beautiful. And honestly, like it, I feel very inspired just from looking at photos. Um, there's just, 
it must be like, especially working with Tama for the foraging, it's like, then you get these new ingredients occasionally that you've never mm-hmm. really considered, but they're seasonal and they're local and they're foraged. Yes. It's like that inspires, you know, between that and the music inspiration, it's like, you've got plenty <laughs> to work with, I feel like, right? <laughs> it's fun. I mean, it's fun. It's really, uh, you know, great creative process. I mean, I, I'm a, you know, I study arts, I study filmmaking and then visual arts as well. Um, so uh, that definitely informs, you know, this new expression, which I call it liquid art in some ways. Mm-hmm. So in our motto is everything matters. Uh, everything matters from the vessel that you're going to serve the cocktail to the garnishes, to the visuals. And um, obviously, you know, you have to uh, also, you know, make something that tastes good, you know. So, um, and uh, it's, it's exciting to see the bar because a lot of people love to see the bar towards the bartenders because, you know, you know, have this very dramatic lighting and spots illuminating their hands. And people get fascinated, uh, you know, about watching them and, uh, you know, and, you know, as I said, also, you know, they're very, very consistent and also all of them, they're visually uh, sensitive and they try to produce something that is, uh, you know, beautiful. And the head bartender, Ryan Garrison, he's um, also an artist on his own right and he creates these amazing garnishes um, out of, you know, different you know, materials and it's just like stunning. Um, anyway, yeah, but it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. And, uh, we're having a great time and, uh, obviously we're super excited now to go to Brooklyn and, uh, the facility there, we're going to have another bar, <clears throat> you know, um, uh, called, uh, Bitter Monk. So we're going to have Sugar Monk in Harlem and Bitter Monk in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to feature mostly our products, like a lot of uh, the Amari and, uh, you know, but, uh, so, you know, it's a smaller kind of bar, but, uh, a lot of spirit forward cocktails. Um, and, uh, we're, you know, that's very exciting for us right now. Great. Well, yeah. we, we can find more information about that as it unfolds, right? Uh, on your. Yes. Yes, your, yes, absolutely. Indeed. Your social medias are, uh, it's a uh, sugarmonklounge.com. But what are you on, uh, like, uh, social media? Hector uh, SB. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, it's more like a private, uh, you know, very private in my, you know, own, you know. But so sh- Sugarmonk has better. a uh, an Instagram, yeah. right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Sugarmonk NYC. Okay, cool. Sugarmonk New York, yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's there. Yeah, everyone should go check it out. I mean, go to the bar, go to the, the website and the social media. It's really just really beautiful. Just like, I can't, I can't wait to go there in person. It's it, we, great. We got to go. have you guys. Yeah. I mean, we are so looking forward to have you. And uh, please let me know when you decide to visit us. Absolutely. Uh, also, I want to mention something about um, the location a little bit that has been a little bit of a challenge in terms of like a lot of people, they have this kind of almost prejudice. So I don't know what it is about coming up to Harlem or crossing, you know, going above 59th Street somewhere. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like uh, we're trying to work on that and trying to get people up there. You know, it's just, uh, you know, it's been a bit of a challenge in that respect. But uh, Harlem you know, is incredible. We, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's it, really like, incredible. It's, to me, it feels like, you know, as you mentioned before, living in the East Village and kind of getting like the change, seeing the changes that happen there. I mean, like Harlem still feels like New York to me. Yeah, yeah, indeed. You yeah, know. there's a lot of history, a lot of excellent 
excellent restaurants and, and oh yes, good bars. Oh, yeah. it's, like, it's like it's it's a great, you know. And we we get kind of stuck in New York in our routines and our little neighborhoods and like sub neighborhoods and all that stuff. But like, I mean, just get on the train. It's it's going to take you ten more minutes than. Yeah, it's nothing. I mean, you know, the Express <laughs> is so fast. Yeah. And it is a very vibrant community. And also, you know, being a business owner in Harlem, also there's this kind of uh, camaraderie, you know, you, yeah. you know, with other business owners. Um, and it's great. I mean, we're all friends. I mean, there's some other great bars like 67 Orange and, uh, you know, uh, so it's just, uh, you I mean, know, it's great. And Red Rooster is always a madhouse, but. It's good. <laughs> it's kind of too. Um, but yeah, and and my favorite is going shows at the Apollo. It's that's that is yeah. just iconic New York right there. I mean, so there's such an institution, the Apollo, isn't yeah. it? I mean, my goodness, yeah. It's just like you, uh, you, great if place. you haven't been to like like Radio City Music Hall, the Apollo, and I don't know, they Hammerstein, you know, like you're not doing New York right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, Hector, it's, it's been so much fun talking to you today. I'm excited about all the cool stuff you've got going on, and I can't wait to go check it out in person. And Greg Thank you, and I guys. Will... It's been uh, wonderful talking to you. Thank you for inviting me. I yeah, really thank appreciate you. it. And, yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Souther wasn't here today, but we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll drag him we'll up there with us. Catch up with him another time. You know, I yeah. love Souther. Yeah. I mean, he's such a legend, you know. Um, you know, it would have been fun to talk to him about Amari. Actually, I saw him uh, the other day briefly, and uh, I told him a little bit about the project. He says, oh, can we make an Amari together? I says, yes, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Southern. Says, says <laughs> a sweet man, you know. Cool. Yeah, well. So it's been I, a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. Um, well, that's it for the Speakeasy this week. Check out. Obviously, check out Sugar Monk, but uh, check out Heritage Radio Network for many more programs like this one. And until next week, y'all, cheers. 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 So you don't shun the devil with your rock. The Speakeasy is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food and drink radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. It's going to get